Welcome to this episode of Technic in Conversation. I'm Eddie Grant, a Director of Technical Connection. During our conversations, we seek to review the topical bulletins published on TechLink, our knowledge management tool, for all things tax, trusts, pensions, and much, much more. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Nikki Patel, a tax and trust specialist with Technical Connection, and also a key member of the team that authors articles and bulletins for TechLink. Hello, Nikki. How are you? And how has the last six months been for you? Hi, Eddie. Um, Yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's been an interesting six months, to say the least. Um, Wasn't quite sure how I would fare working from home, as I'm primarily used to coming into the office most of the time. I've really missed uh, seeing everyone in the office, but being at home has given me the opportunity to be around my family more. I've actually enjoyed homeschooling my son as well, which I didn't think I would say although there were three consecutive Mondays where I wished he was back at school. But apart from that, we've had a great six months and work has been as busy as ever, which is really good. I think you, must, how are you? I think you must be one of the few people to have enjoyed homeschooling. I think uh, <laughs> you, you certainly deserve a, a, an award there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm well as well, thank you. Uh, I haven't had, uh, my children have grown up, so I haven't had any of the responsibility of uh, of homeschooling yet um so i just wanted to um pick up on some of the topical bulletins that you've been uh, specifically looking at um and in very much in relation to child trust funds which have been in the press quite a lot recently um and uh, could you just remind us a little bit about child trust funds and why we're hearing about them at the moment Yeah, of course, Eddie. So basically, child trust funds are a form of tax-free savings account, so very, very similar to the junior ISA or even the standard ISA. However, there are a few differences with these accounts in comparison to those accounts. So broadly under these accounts, what happened was um, essentially the government awarded vouchers of specified sums and what parents or guardians did with those sums is they opened a particular type of savings account. Um, there were also additional amounts that were awarded to those children who spent any time in care or if they were disabled or if they received things like disability living allowance. Um, however, these accounts are no longer available, uh, although they're still eligible to be held by children who were born before the 3rd of January 2011. The limit for these accounts is £9,000, so again, very much in line with the junior ISA. Um, And if you don't use the allowance, you can't actually carry it forward. So it's a use it or lose it type of allowance. Um, But with these accounts, individuals, once they attain age 18, you know, they have access to these accounts and they can do what they will with those accounts as well. The reason we're really, really hearing about them is um, because the first set of accounts matured September 2020. And there's been a lot of press articles in relation to whether or not clients are aware of these accounts and that type of thing. Um, In terms of the investment options, you could have three types of account. Um, A stakeholder option, which provided a wide mix of stock market investments. A share account, basically where most of the money is invested in shares. And of course, you could have a cash account, which is like any other deposit account. 
The accounts themselves, as I mentioned, are usually managed by the child's registered contact, but it is important to bear in mind that you know, the money that's held within these accounts belong absolutely to the, the children. So the registered contact just looks after that money on behalf of those children until the children attain age. That's really interesting. And and is there an occasion where perhaps a parent hasn't opened the account? Well, basically what happened with these was that the voucher itself was issued to a parent and it primarily went to the parent who was claiming child benefit. However, if a parent failed to use the account to open, uh, use the voucher, sorry, to open the account, then what essentially happened was the government uh, opened an account for the benefit of the child with an approved child trust fund provider. So in reality, and I think this is where the press coverage is coming from, is there's a lot of children out there who may not even be aware that they've actually got an account to begin with, because obviously if the government opened the account on their behalf, then the parent hasn't really got any paperwork to show that that account is in existence. And so um, so that would be really interesting to, to all of a sudden find out you've got some money there. Um, what options have you got then on maturity? So basically, the account holder, so in other words, the child, um, they've got the option of, of course, taking the money out. Whether or not that would be sensible is one thing to think about. Or, of course, what they can do, and this might be more of a sensible option, is um, they can transfer the, the cash, if they had a cash account, or the investments, if it was stakeholder or a shares account, to a stocks and shares like adult ISA. So they kind of turn 18 and they just make a transfer into one of those adult ISAs. Um, and the nice thing about that is the fact that if they did choose to do that, that transfer doesn't actually count um, in line with their annual ISA subscription limit. So, you know, at the moment, obviously, you can put in up to 20,000 in an adult ISA. And what they could do is all the money that they've saved in the child trust fund could also be transferred across into um, an adult ISA without um, infringing that annual subscription limit. And uh, and, and what happens? Um, so if I don't know I, I'm a child, I don't know I've got the account. Um, and uh, as a provider, there must be situations where provider doesn't get any instruction from the child or the account holder. So what does the provider do in that situation? Well, basically what the government has said, and we've had some regulations around this over the course of the past um, year or so, what's basically happened is if the child trust fund provider hasn't received any instructions on the future of these investments, then basically what they've got to do is they've got to place those investments at maturity um, at the option of the provider in what's known as a protected account. OK, and the protected account basically can be a matured account or a cash ISA or stocks and shares ISA. So effectively, what that means is that the child doesn't lose out on the tax free environment that they would have got otherwise in with the money being in the child trust fund. Because what they're doing is they're protecting that money in this so-called protected account for them. Um, so, you know, that that's kind of vital because what you don't want is that, you know, that the money goes into something where that tax free 
environment is completely lost and in this situation the funds can continue to grow so as i said it's great if you if all of a sudden you you find out you've got this money and it's performed well in uh, in your account um you you also mentioned uh earlier on about uh disabled or children who spent some time in care um so in that situation what what happens especially where the child lacks capacity and is is unable to manage the account yeah that's um, a very good question actually and what the government's done recently is they work very closely with a charity called the share foundation and basically where the child is in local authority care what happens in that situation is the charity manages the account on behalf of that child however what you are going to have is you are going to have situations where the parent has opened an account the child attains age but may not be capable of managing that account themselves due to lack of capacity um, and equally they won't be able to appoint an attorney because of that lack of capacity so in this situation um, and the rules depend on where you are in the country but under the laws of england and wales the parents or guardians what they would have to do very much in line with how you work with powers of attorney you know for, for adults you, they'd need to apply to the court of protection for a deputyship order um, and in scotland we've got similar rules but here it's a guardianship order and they get that via the office of public guardian and basically in in these scenarios the court will effectively appoint somebody um, to make the decisions on the account holder i.e the child's behalf um, for them and the court will decide who to give that responsibility to and as you can imagine in most cases that will be to a parent or guardian um, but one thing I will say and it's quite important to note this actually that because such an order is assessed on the child if you've got substantial funds in a child trust fund and also this equally applies to money that's held in a junior ISA then as I mentioned at the start because this money belongs or the investments belong absolutely to the child then the funds are taken into account for any means tested benefits or any local authority funded support um, and in effect what that means is of course it could affect the child's entitlement to such benefits in the future gosh that, that's uh, quite a big impact um could we broaden this out a little bit to, to the sort of whole subject of investing for children um what other options have uh, have a parent or a, or a grandparent got when they're when they're looking at investing for children in general so obviously they've got the JISA option which is very much similar to the child trust fund um, i think for many cases why you know while a lot of people will choose to save in these accounts um, there are there will be cases whereby they don't want the children to have that access at a particular age, you know, age 18 or whatever. So in these scenarios, what people will choose to do is uh, execute trusts on behalf of the children or grandchildren. Um, and when you're looking at executing trusts, of course, what that does is if you're looking at things like discretionary trusts, you've got control and flexibility and you can use other investments for thing, you know, things like unit trust investments or even investment bonds. With things like education funding and with grandparents especially, 
bear trusts are quite common to use, um, even though the child does have access at 18, uh, if the intention is that that's going to be used for university funding, etc., it's quite a good way to push the tax, the income tax, as well as the capital gains tax onto the child. Whereas if a parent settled such a trust, you've got a special rule. Um, many people may have heard of the £100 rule. Technically speaking, we call it the parental settlement rules. But in effect, where a parent settles a trust for an unmarried minor child, if there is income generated within that trust and it exceeds £100, then it's taxed back on the parent. So, of course, you know, sometimes that may or may not be suitable. Although, of course, if they invested in something like a bond, um, you may not have a chargeable event to generate such a, an income tax liability. So it will very much depend on when that money is required and what it's required for. Um, but like I said, you know, trusts do come into their own for that control and flexibility. And there's no reason as well as to why they couldn't use a discretionary trust. Because, of course, with a discretionary trust, the child or grandchild doesn't have access to age 18, but you've got that flexibility, you've got the intergenerational planning, and you can help the children in future for whether it's education or it may be to help them onto the property ladder or things like that. And do you see much um, of the use of assignments with investment bonds, say, from a grandparent to, to a, a grandchild? Absolutely. I mean, at the moment, if you look at current legislation, um, and I will particularly mention the offshore bond, because at the moment, each, per, you know, each child could potentially benefit from their personal allowance of 12,500. They could also potentially benefit from a zero rate savings band of 5,000 pounds. Um, and also a personal savings allowance of 1,000 pounds. And you might be thinking, why is she wittering on about all these allowances? But in effect, when you've got an offshore bond and you assign a bond or even clusters to that grandchild um, upon them attaining age 18, then they can encash the clusters or the bond and it essentially um, benefit from a gain, a chargeable event gain that is, of up to 18,500 in the current tax year without there being any further liability to income tax. Uh, and the reason I mentioned the offshore bond is because, of course, that's because no tax is deducted or deemed to have been deducted, should I say, within the fund. Whereas with an onshore bond, um, the fund is deemed to have suffered tax at 20 percent, which we know is not reclaimable. So from that perspective, it's not as tax efficient as maybe an offshore bond would be. And certainly um, the ability to assign as well keeps the control uh, with the grandparent um, until that uh, until that assignment is made and and certainly um, you know child going off to university although that's quite difficult at the moment um, but a child going off to university you've got a little bit more control um, as they go off and uh, uh, and spend the money in a way that maybe you you don't want them to to spend in the bar at the university if if even you're able to do that. Um, so what we try and like to do um, during these sessions is, is uh, leave listeners with three top tips. Um, so if we're thinking about sort of child trust funds and investing for children, what would you say your top three tips are? 
Well, I think firstly, I'll go back to the Child Trust Fund. And I think um, that the press, basically what we had was a um, revenue data that showed that there's around 700,000 dormant accounts, okay? Perhaps because children, uh, sorry, parents have lost track of the account or they may have opened it with a voucher and then they've lost the necessary paperwork. Um, and equally, where the account has been opened by the government and children aren't aware of it, I think really what, you know, it's really important to try and locate these accounts. So if you're a parent out there and you, you know, this kind of rings some bells, then it's, it is, you know, useful for you to know that the revenue have actually, or HMRC, um, developed an online tool to help you locate these accounts and I think that's really really vital to do. Generally when it comes to um, school fees planning I think uh, you know that you need to think about when you want children to have money and whether or not you want them to have access at 18 or as we talked about with the assignment rule you've got the flexibility and the control and I think it's really important a tip for me would be that, you know, think about what's the beneficiary's ultimate tax position. When do you want them to have the money? Um, because that, of course, is going to drive how you invest it, in which way you invest it, the investment term, um, and when, you know, when that beneficiary should or shouldn't become entitled. Um, and I think really, finally, setting some goals, and even whether it's the Child Trust Fund or the Junior ISA, I think children becoming entitled to this money whether it's through those accounts or even under trust I think you know they should now be thinking about um, whether or not they want to seek some advice of their own you know you're 18 years old you might come into quite a significant amount of money do you need that for something in particular are you saving for a deposit on a property do you need to seek some advice in terms of in terms of what you should do with it because, of course, there's a lot of tax-efficient wrappers that you could think about using yourselves for your own future or maybe even for, for the next generation down. And just like uh, Desert Island Disc, one of my favourite radio programmes, um, <laughs> if, if you could only keep one of your top three tips and, and, uh, and, and do that one, which one should I really focus on? Um, I think it's got to be always the around the goals and objectives. Always think about what the overall goals and objectives are and whether or not what you've done is there set to meet those goals and objectives, um, be it whether it's for education funding or, or any other financial planning generally, really. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time, Nikki. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Uh, I look forward to catching up with you again soon and, and thank you so much thank you eddie the content of this recording is strictly for general consideration only no action must be taken or refrained from based on the content alone professional advice must always be sought accordingly neither technical connection limited nor any of its employees officers or contractors can take responsibility for any loss occasioned as a result of any such action or inaction.